God's word uh, this morning uh, comes to us from the book of Habakkuk. Uh, We're going to be reading uh, chapter 1 through chapter 2, verse 4. This is God's word. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity, and why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me, strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and go on, guilty men whose own might is their God. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why do you idly look at traitors and are silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet, for by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. And the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for uh, its truth and and power and beauty. And we pray now that your spirit would Just make it alive uh, to us. Uh, Speak through me so that the words that I speak would be uh, true words, that they would be uh, your words. Uh, In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, So one of my favorite movies uh, growing up uh, was uh, The Hunt for Out October, uh, which is a kind of a cat and mouse submarine thriller of a movie. And uh, in The Hunt for Out October, uh, one of the main characters is played by Sean Connery, and he he plays a, a Russian submarine captain 
named uh, Marco Ramius. And as the, the movie kind of goes on, there are some questions as to where uh, Ramius's allegiances lie. Uh, so at one point in the movie, uh, he's aboard a sub, and, and they're being chased by another sub, and that sub uh, launches a, tor- a torpedo at the sub that, that Ramius is on. Uh, so, of course, you know, immediately uh, they're put in, in grave danger. So the question is, you know, what was going to happen next? Uh, well, to the shock of, of the men on board, uh, Ramius actually gives the command to, to turn the submarine to, to head right into the path of the torpedo. Uh, so when he says this, uh, you know, there's looks of, of shock and, and, and they're wondering, like, what is this guy doing? Is, is he trying to kill us? Uh, so what ended up happening was they, they turn the sub, they, they obey his command, uh, and the torpedo that was launched, you know, once it makes contact with their submarine, it really it just it, it breaks apart into several pieces and, and doesn't blow up. And so by, by turning the sub like he did, he actually lessened the time of, of impact and precluded the, uh, the torpedo from becoming armed and from doing, you know, what a torpedo is supposed to do. Uh, so... It was a stroke of genius by, by this Captain Ramius uh, in the movie. Um, but, uh, you know, until, until they actually saw what was going on, you know, the men on board uh, really kind of questioned, uh, you know, if Ramius knew what he was doing and if, if Ramius was really being wise in that moment uh, as a captain. Uh, well, if we're honest with ourselves, I think we're a little bit like those men uh, on board that sub in that moment when the torpedo uh, was heading straight for them, and that we, we wonder sometimes what God is doing. Uh, we, we question uh, his wisdom. Uh, so this morning we're looking at the book of Habakkuk, and I, I think our response at times to some of these Old Testament minor prophet books is, uh, you know, whose name sometimes we might not be able to spell if we, if we got the name in a spelling bee. Uh, you know, we were curious about their place in Scripture, you know, we wonder, you know, what exactly is it that we're to take uh, from some of these prophet uh, books? Uh, well, not much is known about Habakkuk uh, the man. Uh, even the name of his name, the meaning of his name is, is somewhat mysterious. Uh, some, some say it's from a Hebrew word meaning to embrace, or others think that it is from the name of an Assyrian plant called the Hamba Cuckoo. Anyone have one of those in their, uh, in their house? One of those plants? Uh, but what is known about Habakkuk the man was that he was a prophet. Uh, likely he was a professional prophet who worked in the temple, uh, so actually you know, made his livelihood you know, from, uh, from his work as a prophet in the temple. What is also known is that Habakkuk had an intense passion for God's glory. Uh, and as we saw with Elijah and Elisha, the series that, uh, that Patrick has been leading us through, uh, that ended last week, uh, prophets in the Old Testament were God's messengers. They were his, his spokespeople. They were his mouthpieces. Uh, so, so beyond merely just you know, bringing a message from God to the people, which it, it was that, uh, more deeper than that, uh, their words were actually God's words himself, and their words actually contained power and authority because God, uh, you know, gave his words to them to give to the people. So it was as if God himself was speaking uh, directly to the people. So the book of Habakkuk, in part, uh, it serves as a reminder of how God interacts with sinful man, he being the creator, 
man being his creatures, uh, yet promising to show mercy uh, to a chosen people through the covenant he made. So three things that we're going to look at this morning uh, with this passage in Habakkuk. The first thing is Habakkuk's uh, wrestling with God. Uh, The second thing is that God's ways are sometimes beyond man's comprehension. Uh, And the third thing is that the righteous shall live by his faith. So number one, Habakkuk wrestles with God. Uh, In verse one of the passage, we read uh, of a a burden that Habakkuk saw as uh, God's prophet. Uh, A synonym uh, is an oracle, and an oracle in this context is a, a term for a prophecy of judgment. Habakkuk is somewhat unique as a book in that uh, there's a dialogue that, that is going on between Habakkuk and, uh, and God. Um, so it, it, it's something that is uh, somewhat neat about the book and, and, and somewhat unique uh, to Habakkuk in terms of, of the prophetic book. So we see this, this dialogue going back and forth between Habakkuk and God. And Habakkuk has a couple complaints uh, that he brings before God. Uh, and the first complaint we see in verses uh, 2 through 4, he is grieved uh, to his very core over how God's people are living, how far they have strayed from covenant life and look nothing uh, like God's people. Uh, the nature of things went beyond you know, some, some rule bending here and there. Uh, the people were corrupt throughout, uh, you know, so much so that if a person was mistreated and, and sought to have the injustice done to them you know, righted, uh, they couldn't even go to the people that were in the position of authority to help them because those people themselves uh, were corrupt. So that's how, that's how bad uh, things were at this time. In verse 3, three we read that uh, the law uh, was, was paralyzed, uh, the very instrument of God for promoting godly living, uh, for restraining evil, and for administering justice. You know, God's very law seemed to be rendered a holy uh, ineffective uh, with the state of, of things. So Habakkuk uh, turns all of his raw emotions, all of his uh, brazen honesty, you know, towards God himself, uh, essentially asking the question, like, God, do you still care uh, what is going on here? We see some similarity here uh, to, to Job and in the book of Job and, and Job's experience and and the suffering uh, that, that Job uh, experienced uh, in his life. And we see the similarity of you know, both men, Habakkuk and Job, really not holding back at all and, and being very direct uh, with their questions you know, to God uh, in the midst of, of suffering. And with neither of these men did, did God immediately you know, strike with, with lightning uh, because they asked these questions. Uh, you know, we saw with Job that the Lord did rebuke Job, uh, but with both him and Habakkuk, God handled their questions and uh, in his own time and in his own way responded uh, to their questions. So then the second thing is that God's ways are sometimes uh, beyond man's comprehension. The Lord does respond to Habakkuk's cry uh, as we see in verses 5 through 11. And what God says is to, to wonder, uh, to be astounded at how he would respond to the situation. Well, what, he, what was he going to do? Uh, he was going to raise up the, the Chaldeans. Uh, so the Chaldeans were 
the latest uh, people group at this time to you know conquer and and to dominate and to uh, to really take the stage as far as uh, you know a, a dominant superpower. Uh, different empires you know throughout history uh, have have done this, so it's kind of a, a revolving door uh, of these people groups. Uh, another people group being the Assyrians, uh, the Assyrian Empire. And uh, from history, we know that the Assyrians were actually uh, the people uh, dominant right before the Chaldeans, um, before the Chaldeans toppled them and, and brought the Assyrians down. So what were these Chaldeans like? Um, they weren't exactly people that you might want to have over for a meal and, and, uh, and spend some time with. Uh, verses 5 through 11 describe them in, in quite graphic terms. Uh, the Chaldeans were bitter and dreadful uh, they were arrogant. Uh, they were thirsty for violence. Uh, Habakkuk gives a, a couple metaphors to uh, really, um, you know, kind of see what these people were like. Uh, one of them being that they're fiercer than wolves. Uh, that brought to mind uh, a, a nature show that I was watching a couple years ago. Uh, I like to watch, you know, nature shows uh, every now and then, and and I think it was somewhere in the uh, the Arctic and and the. The crew, they were following a herd of bison, I think it was. Um, so the bison were going along, kind of doing their thing. Um, but also, following these bison was a pack of, of wolves. And at one point in the show, the pack of wolves you know, come closer and closer, and they actually had targeted uh, one of the, the baby bison in the herd and, and surrounded the, the baby bison and, and you know, went in for the kill to eat and it was, it was a brutal scene. It was a reminder of, of nature in its unredeemed state. Um, but you just saw the, the fierceness in, in these wolves, and, and that's what these Chaldeans were like, even fiercer than that. Uh, another metaphor that Habakkuk uses is they were like the wind. Uh, more specifically, the, the east wind in that time of day, uh, or in that day. Uh, what the east wind was uh, really devastating uh, you know, to the Jews as it would come in and, and just wreak havoc with their crops. Um, so the, the, the Chaldeans were like this, this east wind when it came to destruction. So the Lord you know, tells Habakkuk what his plan was, and, and Habakkuk responds by saying, um, sure, that's fine, that, that sounds good. Um, I jest, of, of, of course. Uh, Habakkuk responds really in the opposite way, uh, basically uttering, excuse me, you know, what, what was that? What are you going to do? Uh, and issues his second complaint uh, you know, to how the Lord responded to the situation. Uh, so in verse 12, uh, we see Habakkuk's second complaint. He cannot possibly imagine and wrap his mind around you know, how God would choose to punish, yes, the wickedness of his own people, but use a people much more wicked than even they were uh, to, to bring justice and to bring judgment upon his people. Habakkuk appeals to God's purity and his, his justice, and he questions how God could stay true to his own character uh, by allowing these wicked Chaldeans to, to conquer uh, his Jewish people and for the Chaldeans to, to bask in their, their pride and, and their arrogance and their ruthlessness and their self-worship. Well, uh, we see uh, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, that Habakkuk, uh, you know, upon hearing these words, he nonetheless you know, sets himself to, to wait, and uh, to wait to see how God would respond further 
uh, but also how he, Habakkuk, uh, himself would respond further. Uh, so again, we see this, this dialogue uh, you know, going back and forth between uh, the man Habakkuk and, and God. Uh, which brings us to uh, the third thing, and, and that is that the righteous uh, shall live by his faith uh, or uh, by his faithfulness, as it is sometimes uh, rendered. So the Lord answers Habakkuk again, uh, and if, if we were to read beyond uh, chapter 2, verse 4, uh, the rest of chapter 2, God promises that after he finishes using the Chaldeans as his instrument of justice, that he will execute his judgment upon the Chaldeans, that they will not uh, be allowed to go on uh, perpetrating wickedness and, and you know, just basking in their, their self-glory and their lust uh, you know, for flesh. The Lord uh, also tells Habakkuk in chapter 2, verse 2, to write on tablets a vision, a vision that will come true at the appointed time. Uh, we're not certain exactly what the contents uh, of the vision was, uh, but what we do know is that the Lord commanded Habakkuk uh, to write it large enough so that, that someone passing by at a quick pace you know, could, could glance over and, and see what was written uh, on these tablets uh, rather easily. In verse 4 of chapter 2, uh, the Lord gives the assurance to Habakkuk that the righteous shall live by his faith. So no matter how bad uh, things seem to be, Habakkuk and the remnant of God's righteous people had to keep believing, had to keep trusting in God's promises, uh, trusting in God's ways, uh, ultimately uh, trusting in God himself. Uh, and we would be remiss if we, if we did not see the, the stark contrast uh, in verse 4 uh, between those who were or, and are proud uh, like the Chaldeans, uh, whose ways uh, lead to death, you know, whose, whose arrogance and, and self-worship you know, lead to destruction. So the contrast is there between the proud, uh, the arrogant, and, and those who uh, live by faith. Faith is one of those things that uh, sometimes gets described differently, um, not only within our culture, but even within the church. You know, faith is sometimes, uh, you know, talked about uh, in, a, a, in a misguided way, in a, in a way that's not scriptural. You know, sometimes it's, it's used as a, a buzzword for uh, self-improvement, um, but it is not that, uh, nor is, is it something within ourselves that's uh, just always been there and we simply have to, you know, muster up uh, its power to, uh, to save ourselves, to help ourselves, and to live uh, the Christian life. Uh, no, the saving faith that Scripture describes that we see here, uh, the faith that, to live daily by, uh, is rooted uh, in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, whom God the Father sent to live as a man, uh, to die, and to be raised again to life, so that we could be raised to life from spiritual death, uh, which is the consequence uh, of our sin uh, that dwells within us uh, from birth. Uh, faith is a, it's a vessel it's, a, it's an empty channel, um, empty because, you know, we cannot, you know, fill it with, with our own, you know, good works. We can't, we can't fill it with, uh, you know, uh, the things that, that we accomplish and, and the things that we might seek to, to give to God in order that he might have favor uh, upon us. 
uh, it's empty because, you know, we know ultimately that we have nothing to, to offer God uh, in terms of, of our righteousness because uh, we are sinners uh, throughout. Uh, so faith is that, that empty channel uh, that God himself, you know, fills uh, with his grace and blesses us uh, through Christ. Uh, faith ultimately is, is itself a gift from God. Think of uh, Jesus' disciples, you know, fast-forwarding to the, the New Testament, and, and perhaps Jesus' disciples had a, a similar experience to Habakkuk um, at the foot of the cross as they were witnessing Jesus, uh, their master, uh, you know, bloodied on the cross, on the verge of death, and, and seemingly defeated. They probably asked themselves uh, in their despair, you know, how this brutal scene could possibly serve God's purposes and lead to anything good. Uh, but Jesus did not stay dead in the tomb. Uh, he rose to life, as the scriptures say. And the book of Acts in the New Testament, in those first uh, few chapters, are uh, just amazing you know, words, amazing accounts of, uh, of God using these disciples and just the transforming power um, that, that was within them that God used to, to build uh, the early church. So just an incredible picture of, of God working uh, you know, through uh, the death of, of Jesus. Uh, it's also amazing to trace these words uh, here in, in Habakkuk 2.4 uh, throughout history, the righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk was comforted by these words centuries before Jesus came. Uh, yet at the same time, uh, he experienced God's salvation in Christ as the cross uh, works in both directions through, through history. Fast forward 600 years after Habakkuk, uh, the Apostle Paul, whom God you know, saved and who used in such mighty ways, uh, the Apostle Paul quoted these words in Romans uh, 1.17. And then roughly 1,500 years after the Apostle Paul, uh, there was a German monk named uh, Martin Luther who, for a good while in his life, uh, really lived in a, a, a torment of, of conscience as he sought to you know, obtain this peace that he read about in the Bible um, through doing, you know, penance and, and through trying to achieve this peace himself uh, by his own righteousness. And it wasn't until the Holy Spirit uh, illuminated these words of, of Romans 1.17 that the righteous or the just shall live by faith, that Martin Luther saw the light of the gospel. And God led Martin Luther uh, to do such incredible uh, things uh, you know, through the, the Reformation. Uh, I like what uh, Herman Bovink uh, says about the Word of God. Uh, Bovink was a, a Dutch theologian, and uh, he said of God's Word, uh, quote, it's not an arid story or ancient chronicle, but the ever-living, eternally youthful Word of God, which, which God now and always issues to his people. It is the eternally ongoing speech of God to us. Uh, I just love that, uh, that, that quote there. Uh, well, friends, uh, when we consider our own selves, uh, we can't really identify with Habakkuk in, in the way that he was a prophet in, in that context of that time in, in history. Uh, but nonetheless, I think we can identify with Habakkuk's cries. Uh, when we look at different points uh, in our lives, uh, perhaps it is something that is uh, going on right now. Uh, it may be a, a physical ailment, uh, it may be emotional turmoil, uh, 
Uh, maybe a deep desire for a new job or a new calling. Uh, it might be a frustration that we're experiencing you know, at our present job. Uh, it might be a fractured relationship with, with family members or friends uh, that we have that we desperately want healing for, uh, or a relationship we desire that has not uh, yet come along. Perhaps it is someone we have prayed over for years uh, to come to know Jesus, and he or she is, is still uh, resistant to the gospel. Uh, maybe it's a person or persons that, that we are witnessing who are being mistreated, uh, and, or maybe it's simply observing what's going on in, in the world and, and how, at times, wicked people uh, seem to be living in defiance of God and getting away with it and, and living uh, in pleasure. Uh, and sometimes I think that there is a place for, for action, and, and there are ways that God can use us to uh, attempt to, you know, fight uh, injustice. Uh, but other times I think uh, we just really have no control uh, over what is going on, and we simply have to, um, you know, let God uh, intervene and, and remember who he is. Uh, so whatever it may be, uh, these things eat at us. Uh, we do cry out to God at times uh, and, and question him. Uh, we wonder you know, why he is allowing certain things to happen, how they could possibly serve uh, his purposes and produce anything good. Uh, I think sometimes we, we pose the question to God, you know, can't you do something else? You know, can't you find another way uh, in this situation to achieve uh, your purposes? That brings to mind a, a verse from Isaiah uh, 55, 8, uh, which says, uh, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I think these words are somewhat sobering. Uh, these are words that, uh, that ground us. Uh, but I think they're also words that are comforting to us uh, because it reminds us uh, of who God is, that he is ultimately sovereign, that he is in control, uh, and that we are the creatures and, and we do not possess uh, the, the full control uh, that God does. Uh, what we are to do is to aim uh, or re-aim our gaze squarely at the cross uh, and remember that Jesus himself asked God in the Garden of, of Gethsemane uh, if there was another way. Um, but ultimately, he, he believed uh, that God his Father was carrying out uh, the best and the most uh, beautiful plan. Uh, the words of Hebrews uh, chapter 11, verse 1, uh, talk about faith. And it says there that now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Sometimes, or maybe all the time, uh, living in faith simply means to wait. Uh, Abraham waited. Job waited. Uh, Habakkuk waited. Uh, and we are called uh, to wait uh, in faith. And further words of hope are, are found in this very same book of Habakkuk uh, in chapter 2, verses 14, uh, that says there, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Uh, this is what uh, history is uh, progressing towards. You know, this is the, the consummation uh, that God is promising to us, and, and we can have hope that it will come true, and that we're going to, you know, witness this and, and experience it, and, and just the, the joy that, uh, that, that we will have is really uh, unfathomable. Uh, well, Habakkuk uh, ends the book, which is not a very uh, long book, 
uh, three chapters, uh, he, he pens these words at the very end of the book, uh, chapter 3, uh, verses 17 through 19, where he writes, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. The words that he writes there, the description uh, that we read there, uh, I mean, in terms of, of the, the, the culture, the, the Jewish society there, uh, they were uh, an agricultural society. So, you know, for, for the crops to fail, there was probably nothing worse in terms of their livelihood than for their crops to, to fail. Um, but Habakkuk was saying that even that may happen, even as bad as circumstances may get, uh, you know, he was not merely, you know, throwing his hands up and, and saying, uh, whatever God, you know, you win. You know, he, he was coming to a place where he was resting in God's goodness uh, and wisdom and power, uh, no matter how dire the circumstances were. Uh, and they were uh, pretty dire at that time. Uh, well, can we, can we say these words along with Habakkuk? Can we pray these same words? Uh, if we're honest with ourselves, it's pretty difficult uh, to, to, to do uh, at times. Uh, but God calls us uh, to rest and, and to trust in his goodness uh, and his wisdom and his love. Uh, and these things are found nowhere else but in, in Jesus Christ, uh, in his death on the cross, uh, but also his power and his provision for us now uh, as he rules at God's right hand uh, and shepherds us uh, along the way. Let's pray.